0: As you spend time on Go Wild, you will earn awesome rewards such as gift cards, free swag, and big discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex. You will even earn $10 just for signing up. Visit DownloadGoWild.com and sign up today. What does motion sound like? With Kizikans Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Mike check one, two, Mike check. Coming in hot. On a Friday, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. I'm your host, Dan Johnson, and today we're going to be talking about some early season success in Kentucky with my buddy, Josh Honeycutt. Now, Josh is an avid bow hunter, a serious hunter altogether, and he's an outdoor rider, so he's had the opportunity to talk to... A lot of people throughout the years about what their strategy is and things like that. And so we talk a little bit about this early season uh, timeframe, but really what this episode is about is about some success. And I can't remember the score. He gives it in the episode, but it's a it's a stud early season buck. He breaks down the entire story for us, like where this deer was living, what the deer density is uh, in that area. We talk about a major uh, adjustment to the terrain, which was taking it out of CRP and putting it in crops, uh, and and the impact he feels that that will have both early season and late season. Uh, and then you know ultimately we get into this this particular buck that he has watched for several years and then given the opportunity to to hunt it, and so. It's a really good episode. I'm sure you guys are going to enjoy it before we get into uh, the rest of the episode. However, we are going to do a little commercial break and I really appreciate you guys taking uh, time to not skip through these and listen to these commercials because ultimately these commercials pay the bills and allow this content to be free. So uh, thank you guys very much for tuning in as always. And before we get it, actually, before we get into this episode, I know a lot of us in October, Uh, there's a lot of October openers in there. If you have already started hunting, man, good luck, right? But if you haven't, good luck. And I am sending good vibes out to each and every one of you because I truly, truly want each and every one of you to find success this season, whatever that may be. Maybe it's just getting a buck or filling the freezer or getting a big buck, having it mounted on your wall. Whatever your goal is, I hope you accomplish it this this upcoming season, man. And then when you do accomplish that goal, you call me, or or, or hit me up through Instagram, and you let me know, and we'll talk about it right here on the podcast. So, uh, huge shout out to all of you. Thank you very much for tuning in and, and continuing to make the Nine Finger Chronicles and the Sportsman's Empire what it is. Now, commercial time. Code Blue Sense, right? I got five mock scrapes out there setting right now hopefully uh, when I go to check the trail cameras that are over top of them they start to get um, I'm starting to get some information about what deer are working them if deer are working them hopefully I did it right and uh, I really just want uh, I really just want these to work because I if they do I'm, I'm really hoping I can start to use them as a year-round strategy. And uh, so huge shout out to uh, Code Blue Scent for uh, partnering, partnering with me this season. If you are looking for any type of scent control products or synthetic deer urine or real deer urine, uh, go to CodeBlueSense.com. There is a discount code. NFC20, and that's going to get you 20% off. Please go take advantage of that. They have scent elimination products, uh, laundry detergent products, they have uh, deodorant, yeah, of course, the synthetic and real uh, deer urns as well, and the Orbital uh, rope-a-dope, uh, uh system that you can use for Mox Grape. So there's that. And then Uh, Woodman's Pal, right? So in order to clear out all these places where I hung trail cameras over mock scrapes, I used a Woodman's Pal uh, to hack away, chop down the vines, the grass, actually rough up the dirt. So the Woodman's Pal is this awesome habitat tool. It's made in America. It's built to take a beating. Very durable, very sharp. So if you want more information on the Woodman's Pal, go check out Woodman's Pal. Dot com, and last but not least, Huntworth. Uh, Huntworth is is gaining traction big time uh, in this in this uh, I guess you would call it the, the hunting community, the hunting industry. I'm starting to notice more and more people gravitating towards Huntworth, and I feel like the reason why is because they are they are very close to. Uh, from a quality standpoint compared to some of the elite brands that are out there. You know what elite brands I'm talking about. So the quality is matching uh, some of those elite brands. And then the affordability comes in anywhere between 40 to 50% cheaper than some of these elite brands. And so you can get really high-quality clothing uh, and hunting apparel and hunting gear uh when you when you decide to choose huntworth so what i always tell people is go visit huntworth's uh website huntworthgear.com check out all of the the offerings that they have you know early season when it's hot mid-season when you need a couple extra layers especially in the mornings and then the cold late season uh time frame they have they have garments for every situation in, in a variety of camel patterns so go check that out uh huntworthgear.com uh, that's it let's get into today's episode where we talk with my man Josh honeycut on his early season success three two one all right ladies and gentlemen yeah I'm not gonna I'm not gonna start over I'm just gonna I'm gonna force it through <laughs> Josh honeycut man how we doing good how are you I'm doing good man I'm doing good hey first off congratulations big deer in the dirt and it's not even October yet
1: yeah thank you uh you know I, I don't kill big deer often but when, when I do I, I try to appreciate it because like I said it's it's about once every five plus years whenever I kill a deer like this one
0: so. yeah well that's awesome man I, t- I tell you what I, I'd take him I would take him any any day of the week any season of of my life that's a great buck and we're gonna break this all down but before we kind of get into the meat and potatoes of this particular story, um, what else do you have going on this year outside of this Kentucky hunt that we're going to talk about?
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, as far as other hunts, I, I, I hunt Kentucky and Ohio every year. I've got uh, a place it up there. I hunt some both some private land and some public land up there. Um there's a, a, a just I've, I've done some on and off hunting in Indiana throughout the years and I've picked up a piece of private land up there that I'm going to hunt this season as well. Um and then I hunt some public land in Tennessee. So, Ohio, Indiana, Tennessee are kind of the rest of the year for me. Okay.
0: And uh as far as where the excitement level bef- like we're t- we're talking now before you shot this buck, the excitement level leading up to this season Knowing that you have, you know, you sounds to me like you have uh, quite a bit of opportunity to hunt. You probably knew this guy was around. Uh, what was your excitement level leading into this season?
1: Yeah. Yeah. This is a deer that's been on the property. So I, we've hunted this property. My family has for about, I think this is the ninth season um, since 2015. So, so right around nine seasons, I think, eight or nine seasons. But anyway, it, it, he's been on the property for the past three years so the deer was only that's him right back there but he was only four and a half years old this mm-hmm. year so um you know at two and a half we didn't really pay a lot of attention to him last year he was probably a mid-30s 12 pointer he had split g4s on each side and and you know it was like oh that's a deer that could really turn into something um and so obviously this year when he showed back up you know i was, I was certainly ready to, to try to get after it awesome all right so Let's talk a little bit about this property
0: that you hunt in Kentucky. Give us the breakdown, um, maybe of the, the farm specifically, and then the neighborhood surrounding it, uh, you know, terrain. Is it like a timber ag mix? Is it big woods? What's the, what's the story with this area?
1: yeah so historically this was a crp farm um but it just came out of a 15-year contract and they didn't renew and a lot of properties aren't renewing this year uh, because they're not able to pay them as much as they can get from you know ag leases yep so a lot of farms are coming out of crp this is one of them um so uh, this particular property historically had long stretches not a lot of timber i would say probably on it's about 200 acres the property is And it's probably got a total of um, maybe 30 acres, 40 acres of timber on it. But it's just got two big blocks, long blocks of timber on the east and west sides, and then the middle of it. And then some, you know, the southern, you know, and some other little pockets were CRP. And this year, everything that was CRP turned to, to ag, um, and basically half the properties in corn half the properties in beans and they're gonna rotate each year from now on okay um so so a lot of these deer you know the mature deer they bedded pretty much all year long in the timber anyway so it really didn't change where the deer were bedding at um, but I think it has cut down on the number of deer that's on the property simply because they lost a lot of that, that bedding cover there that was they they use CRP to bed in you know yeah. all year long, not as much when it's hot because they just the sun's beating down on them but. Um, but, so I did notice the deer density dropped a little bit just when, when that CRP vanished to kind of disperse some of the deer. Um, but it didn't seem to hurt the mature bucks at all because the mature bucks were taken because the, both of the, the timber blocks are on high ground mm-hmm. and then it slopes down toward the middle where the CRP is at. And so it really didn't diminish the number of mature bucks that we've seen, um, so far. Um, it it drops some of the the, the the number of does and younger bucks, but the bucks, the mature bucks were still taking that for premier bedding that they've always used. And you know, the, the does and the smaller bucks had bedded at the lower elevations and then down in the CRP. So it's not impacted. And I don't think it will impact the property outside of the rut. What I do think will change is how, how well the rut is okay um, because the the because come the you know come the rut each year that property just popped because it was just so much contiguous um CRP that, that the bucks would just push those does down into that CRP out of the timber get them away from the rest of the herd and they they would just run like crazy in daylight in that CRP out in the open because it was you know, you got head high and chest high grass you know the deer feel safe yeah um yeah. and so now they don't have that
0: So you're thinking that actually this um, change to AG is going to hurt the property?
1: Uh, yes and no. I think it's going to help the property early and late season, and I think it's going to hurt it during the rut.
0: Okay. All right. Yeah. I mean, it make you know makes makes a lot of sense. I'll come.
1: I'll come back. I I can come back to you maybe after deer season. Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. Now for this particular buck though um did you know about him last year
1: or any previous years yeah so he so so i had him on camera as a two and a half year old and last year as a three and a half year old actually passed the deer and saw the deer probably five to ten times last year um and uh, he put on probably 30 or 35 inches from last year to this year yeah and so if you've got a thousand if you've got a thousand acres don't shoot that deer at four and a half <laughs> he, he really honestly he had the genetic potential to be a 200 plus inch deer uh, yeah. at maybe five and a half or six and a half but I just can't walk a deer like that for one because I'm just not I'm not that that type of hunter I yep. can't pass a, a high 160s 170, 170 inch deer you know I just can't do that um, and, and, and two even though I would love to have seen that deer in another year or two, the, the neighbors weren't going to let that happen. Yep. Um, and I know everybody says that, but really, honestly, it, it, this deer would have died before the season was over. Um, so uh, last year, it's funny, We kinda, the people that I kind of lease with uh, and, and and you know hunt with on the property, as well as some of the neighbors, actually kind of got together and they saw this deer. last year we did, and they're like, mm, that deer could turn into something. And so everybody kind of la- last year was like, oh, let's pass that deer. Let's make sure he makes it another year which was good. You know, I, I, had, at that point I had already passed the deer two or three times anyway. And so that's, I was, you know, I was, I was on board with that and, uh, everybody else was too. Uh, and so fast forward to the late season last year and I had to do something that really kicked me in the, in the, in the gut. And so I, I took a youth hunter on that property. He had never shot a deer before and I had to make him pass that deer. Ouch yeah and so that's a a tough one yeah so so basically before the hunt started i showed him a picture of the deer and there was a bunch of bucks over there a bunch of doves a bunch of young bucks several mature bucks too and i was like there's a lot of deer over here like this is the type of place when you go deer hunting you see about 30 deer Mm -hmm. and um you know if you see less than 20 it's been a bad day and and at at best we've in, in a full day of deer hunting during the rut we've seen upward of 60 unique deer yeah Um, you know, some of those does might've been counted twice, but anyway, so we get there before we, before we actually get out of the vehicle, I tell him, I show him a picture. I was like, you can shoot any deer you see, except for this one. And I've already promised several people that this deer won't get shot this year. And of course, and of course i tell him, I was like, we probably won't see the deer because I kind of went to a spot where I didn't expect to see the deer. Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't want to put him right in the middle of that deer's core area. And so I didn't, we got well away from where that deer beds. Well, lo and behold, that was the first deer we saw. Oh my God. Yeah. And so it was. Re- I, I know everybody listening to this right now is like, "Oh my goodness, this, guy, this guy's this guy's a, an absolute dog turd." And I felt like a dog turd, but I'd already promised several people, including myself, that this deer would live another year. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I had to call him off the deer. We had him at 25 yards, and he was sitting there with a crossbow in late season, and you know, chip shot broadside. And it is what it is. Fortunately, you know, I, I, but but I don't think that was all bad though. And let me let me explain my you know my reason for that. Anytime you take a deer hunter and they sh- they go out their very first trip, the very first two or three hours that they've ever went deer hunting and they shoot a, 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 a nice deer like that, I, I'm a firm believer that it runs them.
0: I, I agree 100%. I have stories on the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast that back that fact up. There was this guy told me, I think he was 16 years old, shot like a 188. And he said, after that, nothing interest i had no interest in you know locating bucks anymore because i had already shot a giant deer and so for the Mm -hmm. next couple seasons after that he was like well where are all these big deer at and basically what happened is he got lucky that first year and and so uh he he went he he left hunting and finally he came back as an adult but did i agree 100 percent that whether that whether you know, whether it's a listener of this episode or that kid himself was like, dude, Josh Honeycutt, he's an a hole, dude. Uh, for you know, for pulling that kid <laughs> off that. It dude, I I think that was the right move. Well, it, it ended up working out. So yeah.
1: he ended up that was like I said, that was the first time we went, like the first couple of hours that he'd ever been deer hunting. And um And so we ended up having to go probably five or six or seven times before he finally ended up getting a deer. And we hunted, it was late season. We hunted some with a crossbow, some during the muzzleloader season. This is Kentucky for those that I have, I don't think I've already said that, but, um, and so he ended up getting a nice buck. He ended up getting a bigger deer. He ended up getting uh, a more mature buck. So that was a three and a half year old deer last year. He ended up killing a deer that was probably four and a half, maybe five and a half, um, and so, and it, and it ended up being about the same score wise, but but it was a more mature deer. Um, and, and so, it, and he actually ended up doe first. So I think it was probably the fifth, sixth, seventh time that we'd went. And uh, of course it was late season. And we've had, had some close calls, actually stalked some deer, you know, we, we, mm-hmm. with, with a crossbow, you know, we, we actually got, to, he got to experience a lot of different things in those seven days and, and see the different nuances of deer hunting. Um, from encounters to tactical approaches and this, that, and the other. So it was actually a good thing that it took him, you know, five, six, seven days to, to finally fill that tag versus, you know, the first two hours. Mm-hmm. Um, but eventually he we ended up, I think it was the last day that he ended up going. He we, he shot a doe, and it was really early in the hunt. We had a nice cold front that pushed through and dropped the temperatures, and so the, the deer were moving early. And he ended up shooting a doe. Um, and then we still had like two and a half hours, three hours of daylight. And so I was like, you know, we can sit here if you want to and try to get you a buck, you know? And he's like, yeah, let's try that. And so, and he ended up killing, a, you know, a nice buck. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, closer to sunset. So it, it worked out. Yeah, But that was kind of the, that was kind of the summary of, of what happened with this deer in 2022.
0: Okay. And so you, you, you got him as a two-year-old, you got him as a three-year-old on the property. Like, you, you know about this buck, right? Yeah. Where explain to us where he was living and what he was doing. And then if you felt like this, this new introduction of ag into the area was going to just make him go somewhere else. At Evernorth health services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best. It's possible pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line. It's possible. It's possible complex specialty care that cares about your ROI. It's possible because we're already doing it all while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder.
1: Yeah. So last year he, you know, he, this deer is, this deer's personality. So it, when you research, I, I'm a big follower of the Mississippi state university deer lab. I love their research. Um, and I actually just did a blog post for, um, realtor.com on that. And it talks about the different personalities of of uh, deer and so the msu has actually studied and, and created kind of uh nickname not nicknames but labels so to speak for different personality types as far as how much or little deer move and so they they give these deer uh, you know different you know put them in different categories essentially and this deer was uh, what you would call like a, a transient deer, sort of. He was very apt to move. He's very sporadic. He moved a lot, but he was never consistent. So some, some bucks I've hunted have had, had very small core areas, very consistent, um, moved very little in daylight, but when they moved, there they were. Um, this deer, was not afraid to move in daylight, but he just was so inconsistent. He would do this today and something different tomorrow. Um, now, he uh, this year that changed a little bit, so he was more reserved to move in daylight. Uh, actually, I, I put my cameras out early August, right at the beginning of August, I think. And from like mid-August, to uh, I ended up killing the deer. I'm going to pull my calendar up here. When I killed the deer last Tuesday on September the 2nd, um, or excuse me, September the 12th, um, not Tuesday, so for that month period i probably only had maybe four daylight afternoon appearances on trail camera and i did some glassing from afar to try to find this deer too and figure him out and i never did see him when i was glassing from afar glassing beans so he didn't move a lot in daylight but when he did move it was always in somewhere somewhere different and he and historically he used the entire farm and some of the neighboring farms too Mm. everybody was seeing this deer everybody knew about it and so he was using every bit of five six seven hundred acres probably okay this year so far he really kind of honed in on so and so i didn't have a full season with this year so so it was really not a good not a good sample but for this summer and you know leading into september when i killed him he pretty much was very loyal this year to his summertime early season bedding area He had a couple different ones that he was using, so I like I I would you know on trail cameras I would see him of morning going back into this bedding area that bedding area, afternoons he would either come out of this bedding area or that bedding area, but he but he was pretty much using two different bedding areas pretty reliably, but what he would do of an afternoon and night when he would leave those was so sporadic and so um, um, really seemingly now after i started studying trail camera you know data and daylight photos and wind directions there's um, and a, a pattern emerged but just on the surface it seemed really really sporadic and almost without thought what this deer was doing because he could go in any direction for food he had beans and corn you know in every direction gotcha so it was almost
0: because what what most deer do and, and this is This is from my experience is they will go for, let's just use soybeans for an example. When they're ripe, they're going from their bed to the soybeans back and forth every night. Oh, acorn trees dropping. They're going to go there until the food source either runs out or dries up or changes or whatever it is. Then they go to a a new food source. And so whatever is the freshest and, and whatever, you know, things like that. And so it's, Interesting to hear you say that because this buck goes against the grain of, I guess what you would call the law of averages on how deer move and and wh- what food source he's hitting and things like that. It's it's less of a straight line.
1: Yeah, and well, and he was hitting beans ninety nine percent of the time, but he had beans like he so so his bedding area is on top of the hill on the, the top of the hill is timbered. And then he's got soybeans to the northwest, west, southwest, south, east, northeast, northwest. I mean, he could go in any direction he wants to to get beans. Mm-hmm. Um, what I and, and there's corn off to the west and to the east too. But um, so there's beans in every direction, and so he was hitting beans most of the time. But he's like, ah, I like those beans today. Oh, I like those beans today. You know. But whenever I started studying trail cameras the 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 daytime pictures and and not so much the daytime pictures because I didn't have a bunch of those but those photos that were at least close to daytime, um, you know right after sun you know right after legal light ended in the afternoon or right before you know legal light started of a morning, the trail cameras showed me that he was hitting going in different directions from his bedding areas bedding in pretty you know here or here most of the time, but he depending on which way the wind was blowing would determine which beans he went and ate that day. Okay, so so. Instead of finding
0: one end spot, you found two ending spots where he was ending up. He, you found the same bed, but based off of the wind direction, you're able to determine what, air, like what part of the beans he's going to. Which, I look at that and I say, dude, that's awesome. Now you know exactly what he's doing. In, in, you, have, mm-hmm. you just have more information about how this deer moves.
1: Yeah, and, and a lot you know a lot of the time. So like I said, it seemed like this deer was being really sporadic and really random, mm-hmm. but he wasn't. Yeah, um, he, he still was in a sense, but but there was more of a pattern there than I realized once I got down and started digging through the weeds. And the way that I personally like to do that is I like to look at the timestamps on the trail camera photos, the direction of travel, and I also go back and I use Weather Underground. There's probably other services, but I use Weather Underground to check the historical. Wind direction for that timestamp, um, and that tells me what the wind direction was. Now, not that might not have been blowing exactly like that, and I'll get into that a little bit later. Might not be blowing exactly the way it's projecting it to on on that. You know what the weather channel or, or the weather source says it was, and and you know because topography really impacts that wind direction, as you and everybody listening knows. But so it, it may not be. You know if it's if it says it was a north, it might not have been exactly a north. It might have actually been blowing like out of the northeast or the northwest in that spot at that particular time. Excuse me. But. Even if that's the case, you still, once you learn that property and know what the wind does in an area, when you see what that either looking at historical data or looking at future, you know, um, uh, forecasts, if you see that it's blowing north, you're like, oh, well, it says it's blowing north today in that particular spot it's going to be blowing northeast. Yeah. Or northwest. Yeah. And so, what I come to realize is that deer really liked to come in there on a westerly or southerly-ish wind. Um, he did not like to come in to the spot that I was hunting in it with a northerly, uh, like a north, basically from a north to uh, southeast, he didn't like to come in there. Okay. From a south up to around a northwest, he would come in there and most of the time it was a, a south to a west okay well
0: you just omitted a whole bunch of wind directions that are pointless to hunt at that point right if that buck is your target then you say to yourself well I, there's no point in me going in there on these on this northeast or eastern wind i'm waiting for a south i'm waiting for a west or a northwest
1: and those are those are my those are my attack days initial and, and 99% of the time and for 99% of the properties that's going to work but what I realized for this particular spot and it doesn't make sense because it didn't seem like that it's the type of topography that so I've hunted this property a long time but I had not hunted that particular exact spot and you know how wind can be different from you know 10 yards this way or 20 yards that way but I had never hunted that exact spot until this season mm-hmm. hunted close a tree stand locations 50 yards away 40 yards away 30 yards away but that particular spot for, and i can't explain it but that it, the wind always blows in one of two directions right there it's it's so weird um because i didn't think the topography was going to impact it that much but it does and so what i realized is most of the time even if if it's forecast in northeast or south most of the time in that particular spot that wind is coming back south or southeast um it basically either blows southeast or northwest it's and, and it's not a channel you would expect something like mm-hmm. that in like a valley with two hills on the side yep. so if like it's like it's so if it's like it's running north and south you know if it's a northwest wind the wind's blowing down the gut north yep. or if it's out of the south somewhere it's going this isn't like that you know this is kind of up toward a hilltop but for some reason And maybe it was just the way the thermals were working because i didn't have a lot of strong winds on the days that i was hunting so maybe it was more thermal action i still don't know how that explains it and i can't explain it but but anyway i hunted that particular spot three times and even when the wind said that it was just slightly different or greatly different that wind was always coming out of the south southeast and that benefited and sometimes it would turn and go to southwest but anyway, that deer likes to come in on a south wind, so that worked for me. Even though, um, you know, uh, uh, sometimes it wasn't doing what it says it was supposed to do. But yeah, so I, I, I digressed a little bit there. So what we were talking about, though, works for 99% of sits, you know, yeah. when you're like whenever I've hunted past bucks and I've looked at the wind directions, you know, most areas that you're hunting, most stand locations. Are, are, are gonna operate that way. This was just a weird anomaly. And, and so I, I bring it up just to point out that there may be hunters out there who don't realize, most of them probably do, but uh, don't take what the weather channel is saying for the wind direction at stand location at face value. Absolutely.
0: The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. That's a great point. That is a great point. I've, I've learned that lesson so many times. Like, like It took me a while right you get up into a tree it's like why isn't it north you know the the it says it's north but it's west or you know they're obviously not taking into consideration any type of thermal disruption or any type of vegetation or terrain you know and things like that so yeah that's an absolute great
1: point well and and to the and, and furthermore those data weather data that's coming from a weather station that might be 20 or 30 miles away exactly and so, you know, it might be reading west on that weather station, but where you're at, it might be might be like on the edge of the jet stream. Yeah. Or on the edge of a front, and it's doing something completely
0: different. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So, you started putting the pieces of the puzzle together as far as how this deer was coming out of his bed and going to eat. How many trail cameras did you have in the area and... Was that, was that the key indicator in, in how he was moving?
1: Yeah, yes and no. Um, he really So I had – probably on, on the property I have more trail cameras than this, but in that particular area where I was actively targeting and felt like I had a chance, and, and honestly I felt like this was the only spot that I had an opportunity to kill this deer because he was – the timber I was talking about on the east and west side stays on – it's kind of on the property line. So mm-hmm. some of that timber is on us, some of it's on the neighbors, on each, on each side. And so, like, the hilltop is where numerous properties come together, and everybody's got a piece of the pie, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Now, on the east side where I was hunting, we have the bulk of the timber. Um, But he could have went a few hundred yards to the north and been on a different neighbor. 50, 60, depending on where he was bedding at the time, he, you know which bed he was using on the hilltop. I mean, you could have went 100 to 150 yards from his bed to the northeast and been on another property, 125, 100, 150 yards to, to the east and been on another one, southeast, been on another, like he was right there where a bunch of properties meet. And um, so so he was, the, the way the property lays out is, is the, the timbers on each side and then the, the ag's down in the middle. And so he was coming toward the middle of the property when he came to our beans. Like I said, some days it seemed like he was, I don't know this for sure, but it seemed like he was going to the neighbor's beans because I wouldn't either A, wouldn't see him or B, wouldn't get any kind of trail camera movement from the deer. So it, it seemed like on those other winds, he was going to the neighbors. Um, whereas whenever I had the winds that I felt like he was comfortable coming down toward. And I think those overarching wind directions applied that we were talking about earlier, you know, those consistent south and westerly winds that he liked mm-hmm. were consistent for the general area. But once you got to that particular stand location, the winds just got a little funky. Yeah. So I think those overarching wind directions that he liked to come toward our beans on still was relevant despite the funky winds that were going on in that particular location I ended up shooting. Him. But but anyway I had to answer your question, I, I think I had probably five trail cameras in that particular area and he was not hitting any of them but one okay and those trail cameras were all within probably a 75 yard radius of each other
0: okay all
1: right so that goes to show just how easy in my opinion a deer can be missing trail cameras and you never even know that deer is there especially you know if he's if one of those trail cameras isn't on that travel route so i had like i said probably five cameras in a, a 75 to 80 yard radius and I think, like I said, I think he only hit one of those five. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. So you had,
0: you had a good idea. Now, when was Kentucky's opener? September 2nd. So that it, Kentucky opens the first full weekend of September. So okay. that would have been September 2nd. All right. How many times did you hunt this buck
1: before you killed him? yeah so opening morning i took my little cousin deer hunting he's killed a couple of deer but he ended up he never killed one with a bow so i took him hunting that morning and he shot his first velvet buck with a bow so that was opening morning and then i went opening afternoon to hunt this particular deer i did not see him but i saw the two bucks that he bachelored with all summer they came in came through in full disclosure i was hunting a corn pile kentucky i can do that yep and so that may make a lot of listeners mad but you know you can do it in kentucky and honestly if you're not doing it everybody around me hunt puts corn out and so if i don't put corn out too i don't see deer period yep. you know so so just if that makes people mad i apologize actually i don't apologize i don't apologize because I, I can do it yeah i don't apologize i'm, I'm so i'm sorry that they're mad about it, put it that way. <laughs> tough shit but, so I hunted, yeah so, so the way the way it was set up was um uh, the corn pile was kind of a, like a staging area. Mm-hmm. So like this big, huge, it's a big, long timber block. You know, they bed on top, but they can kind of come and there's a big long, probably six, 700 yards of timber. And they just, there's trails all up and down it, mm-hmm. and, but it kind of pinches, you know, comes out of the big bedding area and pinches before it goes down into another timber log and kind of right there in that pinch was where I was at. And so I had been feeding corn there. Honestly, I didn't expect to actually kill the deer there um most of the time i don't hunt over corn piles i just put them out just to kind of hold deer in the area because most of the time i've not had very much success killing a mature deer over a corn pile anyway yeah um because mature bucks at least where i'm at a lot of times they won't hit a corn pile in daylight um but it ended up being that that was the particular trail that he'd been using and to get into the soil so it was kind of like a staging area for most of the deer to stage up before they went on out into the beans. Um, this particular deer, like I said, actually only hit that particular spot probably, I don't know, like three, maybe four times in daylight mm-hmm. in a month period from mid August to you know mid September. I think only had three afternoon daylight pictures there. Four, um, only one uh, daylight appearance in the afternoon from September second to September twelfth. So in that Ten-day period, he hit it on the sixth. So I hunted the deer on September on Saturday, September the second. Did the scene, but I saw the two bucks that he was bachelored with. I think he ended up coming out of velvet that day, so he was off somewhere rubbing his velvet off. That's why he wasn't with that bachelor group, I guess. Um, and I didn't hunt again uh, for several days. He ended up being in there in daylight on the September the sixth. Um, I wasn't hunting, and then I went in on September the eighth. And he didn't even come anywhere, he didn't even come into the corn pile. Like, I ended up seeing the deer, but he was down in the beans, so he had come out of the timber, went out into the soybeans, and was down in the soybeans. So, um, and and, and, and unfortunately, on the eighth, um, he actually went straight toward where I was parked, which I was parked about eight seven eight hundred yards away. But I was looking after the hunt ended, he was right down. Going heading straight toward where I parked, I looked to the north. I looked to the south. You know, because the beans go all the way up to the north and south property lines. There were deer everywhere out in the beans. So I was either going to spook that deer or spook another deer trying to get out of there. And that's the thing with this particular property and how things have changed with the CRP versus the the AG. So with the CRP, entry and exit was dynamite because the deer never saw you coming and going. With the AG. Things are different, especially when those crops come out. They haven't come out yet. But but you can't get through standing beans without deer seeing you. Yeah. And so uh, it, 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 I knew that I was going to spook that deer trying to get back to the truck because I was parked over on the southwest corner because the southwest corner is the only access that we have, and that's another point. You really need, for access sake, you need at least two directions of access to really hunt a property and we've been forced for the past 9 years to use one little southwestern corner access because we don't have option any other options and we've made it work but we've had to do some you know take take some measures to to accommodate for the poor access like after an afternoon hunt have somebody come in and pick you up you know instead of walking through the deer stuff like that um but this particular deer was going right down through my 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 exit access my exit route the only exit route that I had and if I didn't spook that deer directly, I was going to spook other deer. And we all know that when other deer start acting funky, the big deer you're after, he's going to start acting funky. Yeah. And so I actually I slept in a tree stand that night to, to 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 keep from spooking the deer. Wait a second. You yep. spent
0: the entire night in a tree stand so you didn't spook the deer so you could be
1: there for the morning hunt? Both that and just my 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 primary was goal was not spook that deer because he was down in the beans and I've done a lot of things to keep deer from spooking so or to to keep them from knowing it was me so like before I get out of the stand if there's a lot of neighborhood dogs I'll bark like a dog or I'll howl like a coyote or I'll do you know throw a stick through the woods and get deer to run off. You know, so there's things you can do. But the problem was in this particular scenario was I was going to push him toward my truck if I did anything like that anyway, because he was already going in that direction. He wasn't gonna come back up the hill toward me, if that makes sense. Because the only other option.
0: Because access is limited to getting in and out of this property.
1: Okay. Yeah.
0: Man, that's that's
1: that's commitment,
0: man. I mean, I don't I don't know if I could do that. I don't know if I would sleep in the tree stand. Were were you planning? Find a location near
1: you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us.
0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE.
1: Absolutely not. Okay. But but, so, but but the reason that the, the deer had moved so early that night, and so there were so many deer, so even though it's poor access, usually what I can do is swing way up to the north or way down to the south and get around, skirt around the edges, but there was just so many deer, like dozens of deer out in these soybean fields from the north end to the south end and if i spooked them they were going to run right toward him if i didn't spook him directly and it honestly it got to the point where it got so dark i couldn't see him anymore and but he was heading toward my truck at that point anyway anyway there's a pond between but so there here's me here's him here's a pond here's my truck and he was going for that pond and the way the property is laid out i had to go around that pond to get to my truck because my truck was just parked just just kind of on the not you know a couple hundred yards past that and so I was going to spook that deer, period. I was going to spook him. And if I didn't spook him, I was going to spook something else. And and that deer was probably going to spook him. And this deer, he was already so sporadic that I, I was afraid that I was going to push him onto the neighbors or change him. You know, he didn't really have a pattern, so I wasn't really worried about changing his pattern. But I was worried about just, just, just messing him up because there was a lot of people that knew about this deer. A lot of people, I'm sure, were already hunting him. Because he was spending some time on the neighbors, mm-hmm. I assume, because there would be times where I wouldn't get any sightings or pictures of him for two or three days straight. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I think he was just because I didn't have any trail cameras in his bedding area, and so I think you know when he would he would go back to bed on top, you know, in one of the two bedding areas that were up there, uh, you know, using those, and and if he had you know like an east or a north wind for two or three days in a row, you know, he went to the neighbors. Mm-hmm. And so I know, that, I know that they had to have known about him. Okay. Um, everybody got really quiet this year about this deer, too. So, like, yeah. last year, it was like, yeah, yeah, let's pass the deer, let's pass the deer. You know, and so far this year has kind of been crickets. Um, so that's another reason I knew. I was like, oh, yeah, I don't think anybody's going to pass him this year. But, yeah, so I ended up sleeping in the stand that night just to prevent. that. My, my, I mean, I, since I was sleeping in the stand, I was going to go ahead and hunt the next morning, and I did. Mm-hmm. But that wasn't the number one goal. The primary goal was just to keep from spooking him that night. And, um, and I think it worked. I don't think I spooked him. That is nuts, dude. And, and let me let me say this, too. I do not advise anybody to do that because it is not safe. To sleep in, it a, to sleep in a tree stand. No, it's not. Yes, <laughs> no, it's I thought I thought you were just going to be not like giving anyone advice.
0: <laughs> I just thought maybe you would be like, okay, at least I'm going to get down on the ground and lay flat on the ground and sleep there. I bit.
1: couldn't. I couldn't. So I ended up that that. So I was going to try to do that, and I had literally had deer around me all night long, like the, within fifty yards. So it was it was kind of a clearish night, so I could kind of see down into the beans. There was a persimmon tree that was about 30 yards from me, too, and deer were just coming up, and it was loaded, like like hundreds of pounds of persimmons on this tree. And it was like every 10 to 20 to 30 minutes. I mean, they were just dropping constantly. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, you'd hear a few drop, and boom, there'd be another deer under that persimmon tree. Boom, another deer under the persimmon tree. Another deer under the, and and, of course, it was right on the edge of the beans, and so they were just coming all night long, going to the beans, going to the persimmons, beans. So I couldn't and and I could, at that point, I couldn't tell what deer it was. Yeah. And so I was afraid it was him. Cause it's the, you know, you know, how you know, you know, the power of persimmons this time of year, you know, they, they love those things. Yeah. So, so I was, uh, I do not advise anybody to, uh, sleep in a tree stand. It's not smart. Mm-hmm. Um, especially a hang on stand, which I was in and uh, yeah, of course I had my safety harness on, um, and what I ended up doing, of course, you know, I didn't sleep. You know, even though I say sleep in this thing, I didn't sleep. I basically pulled an all-nighter is what I did. Yeah. Because one, it's it's not, you know, I, I closed my eyes and dozed a couple of times, but I was awake all night long. Yeah. But just in case I dozed off or or fell into a hard sleep, um, I had of course I had my safety harness on, but I also had uh a, a, a strap that ran around the uh, the the trunk of the tree and my torso. Um, that way if I lean and and tightened it up, so like, I, like I didn't leave any room for it to like, you know, hang me like a noose falling out or anything like that. I tightened it, cinched it all the way down to where I, uh, would basically couldn't move. So like I had, I had like, I had my safety harness on and then I had another, another belt safety belt that I wrapped around the trunk of the tree and then strapped it across my chest. That way I literally could not. go in any direction just in case I fell asleep. Um, But yeah, so I don't advise any of that (laughs) to be honest. That was really stupid. So it's funny. I texted my wife. I was like, I was like, am I crazy? Dot, dot, dot. And she's like, well, we already confirmed that, but what are you asking? (laughs) 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 Yeah. Hey, are you telling me I'm not,
0: you know, you're not going to be home tonight. Things like that. Uh, That's funny. Um, So, I'm interested in what did you see at daylight the next morning?
1: Yeah. Deer came back in. And, and again, that really doesn't work all that well. So, so I knew I was going to spook some deer probably just because, I mean, deer can smell you in the dark too. Yep. Um, and in the dark, they're going to be 360 on you. Some. So I did have a couple of deer spook. Uh, I think, I don't know. Uh, I, I don't know that they smelled me, but I, there was one time where I like clanked my foot. I didn't know any deer were around and, there was a deer like right under me. Um, this was like 3 AM in the morning, um, yeah. you know, 4 AM in the morning uh, at this point. And there was like a deer, like apparently 10 yards from me and it saw me move and blew. Uh, but even though it blew, it didn't run off. It just stayed there. Um, and then I had a bunch of moved back through at daylight and actually saw some decent action. Um, that really doesn't work though. Like from a tactical standpoint, if you're going to spend the night in the woods to for a morning hunt. So, cause again, that wasn't my goal. That was kind of secondary to the situation. Um, the primary goal was to not spook that deer. Um, and, and I would have rather spooked that deer closer to daylight than, or in the dark, than right after the afternoon sit. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I feel like that would have had less impact. So I was willing to spook that deer maybe at 3 a.m., 4 a.m. when he came back through there and smelled me versus seeing me walk out at dusk, if that makes sense. Right, right. Okay. Yeah. And so, so he, but, but you didn't see him that next morning. No. I okay. Didn't. Which, so, which I didn't expect to. Yeah. Cause he hadn't been in there. He'd been in there a few mornings, you know, over the past month, but not a lot. So I, I wasn't really hope, ha, I didn't have high hopes for, for seeing him there. He, he'd been in there a few times, but not consistently. Gotcha.
0: Okay. Um, all right so you played it safe you played it really safe you stayed in the tree stand
1: we're really not safe by well i mean the tree not yet. safe
0: from uh <laughs> yes. an actual safety yes. per, uh point of view yes. but you played it safe as to not booger that deer up now yeah did you okay so you you make it out of there did you
1: uh when was the next time you actually went hunting yeah, so that was the eighth. So I hunted him September second afternoon, opening day, the afternoon of the eighth on the Friday. I didn't actually go back and hunt the deer again until the next Tuesday on the twelfth, um, because this deer was so sporadic and not on a pattern and not consistent. Um, I was like, well, corn piles this time of year can be deadly on mature deer on a big temperature drop early season when you get a, and it and it applies to other stuff too. So if you've got like a you know, a cornfield, and, and, and we can get on get in on bait topic debates. Uh, in my opinion, I don't think there's much difference over spreading out a corn pile over a quarter acre area versus, uh, or even smaller, versus going in and mowing a couple of laps on a cornfield that mm-hmm. you planted. There's not a whole lot of difference there, yeah. which I know a lot of states that can't bait. You can grow corn and then bush hog it. it. Yep. <laughs> so there's not a lot of difference there, uh, just application. But, um, but anyway, I digress. So I hunted him on that Tuesday and I was like, well, we had a big temperature drop. So it dropped probably seven, eight degrees, you know, in highs, you know, the difference from the day before that day. Had a little bit of cloud cover and a little, you know, sprinkling rain. I was like, huh, that might, might get him, you know, on a carb diet today instead of being on those, you know, the greens where he's been hitting pretty heavy. So I actually did hunt over a corn pile that day. Um, you know, just just because I thought, well, there's a off chance he might actually want some, some carbs because, you know, my experience, when the temperatures have dropped, they tend to go toward carb-based food sources like corn, uh, acorns, different things like that. And then, well, you know, whenever it's warming up and temperatures rising, they're hitting green food sources like soybeans or brassicas or whatever. And so, that's where I hunted, and he ended up coming in about an hour before daylight, or excuse me, an hour before dark, um, shot him at 630, Um And it, you know, kind of lost light around 730-ish. I don't know the exact times. But he basically come in about an hour before um, legal light ended, about 30 minutes before sunset. And um, which was honestly was the earliest daylight action I'd seen probably from that deer, even comparing to preseason velvet encounters with him on camera in different locations. He, He just did not like to move in daylight.
0: Okay. All right. And so then was the next time that you saw him the day you shot him?
1: Yeah. So that was the 12th. The 12th. That was the day I ended up killing him.
0: Okay. Yeah. Uh, why don't you, so you put, you put the, you said, Hey, corn pile temperature drop the, that's the equation for success today. Uh, walk us through what happened, the wind direction, the time frame, where he came from to where he was going and, and when you uh, actually let the arrow fly.
1: Yeah, so that afternoon, I got in a little early because I expected some early movement because we had a temperature drop. We had, it actually, the clouds kind of started to disperse as I got settled into the stand, and so it ended up being sunny that afternoon, Uh, but it had been cloudy all day. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, so I, I used a slightly different access route. So I hadn't knowingly spooked any deer on the previous two hunts that I went in of an afternoon, but I hadn't seen uh you know i I did see him on the second hunt but so i I didn't think that i was spooking any deer but just in case i had spooks maybe some deer that may that maybe in turn spooked him um i thought there's a possibility that i had spooks maybe some does or smaller bucks at lower elevation um i'm sure he was up at higher elevation but um i I used a slightly different entry route that day um got settled into the stand i actually had hung two or three well four or five tree stands in that general area you know within a 200 yard stretch just to hunt it on different winds and i actually went to a different stand to begin with because that was the stand that would work with the forecasted wind and i got there and it was blowing exactly the opposite or almost exactly the opposite of what it was forecasted um and so I actually sh- circled back around and went up to that corn pile because uh, the one that I went to initially was further south. So like the deer would come out of the bedding area, hit the corn pile, then come on down, mm-hmm. and then go out into the beans. And but the wind wouldn't work; like the bent wind was literally blowing straight at the deer. And so uh, I think it was forecasting like a northwest wind that day, if I'm remembering correctly. I have to go back and look to be sure, but but I think it was forecasting like a northwest, I, I believe. But anyway. Um, so so, but but it was blowing like south southeast in that particular spot so i circled back up and went to the other stand that i ended up hunting and it was still blowing south southeast where i was at but the way that it worked i was hunting a just off wind it was because it was kind of wasn't really southeast it was more like a south southwest once i got settled in and so Uh, And then sometimes it would switch and come out of the southeast. Um, But anyway, ultimately, what what got that deer up was a temperature drop, b he wanted some carbs, and c he had a just off he had the wind in his favor technically Mm -hmm. to come into that spot. So he was able to have that wind because he was bedding up on top. They tend to come down off the hill, hit this fence row and then come circle back around. So it's really hard to illustrate that on a podcast. But anyway, he was basically able to come down out of the bedding area with the wind in his nose. And then whenever he took the trail that he took to come to me, it wasn't directly in his nose, but it was kind of quartering into him to where he thought danger would be. And I had never hunted this particular tree before. And so the deer weren't used to anybody being there. Mm-hmm. But if I had been in some other stands that I've hunted over the past eight to nine years, he'd have smelt them. And deer had spooked us there, or, or you know, b- busted us in those before. And so the deer, the deer know they're smart. They kind of know where tree stand locations are at. Yep. And um, and so because I had a slightly different tree stand location, it allowed him to think that the wind was in his favor, and technically was yep. for those spots. But I was just off enough that 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 scent was kind of coasting. Um, you know, my scent cone was just kind of down off of him enough that he couldn't get it. So he ended up coming in, like I said, he was probably the 25th or so deer, 20 to 25th deer I'd seen a lot of other you know, yearling bucks, two and a half year old bucks, three year old bucks, and a lot of does and fawns. Yeah. Um, so he had the but wind, he come in. It was, he had the wind in his favor though. I mean, the, the corn pile yeah. was blowing right to him. Oh yeah. So yeah. whenever he come in there, like he was smell. So, uh, he, he, he was, he's like, yeah, there's no danger around that corn pile. Yeah. And that's the thing. A lot of people think baiting deer is easy but I've done it a lot throughout my 25 years of deer hunting. Uh, and it is not, you can very easily screw up you know, when you're trying to, to bait deer, especially with mature bucks. Like, like I said a minute ago, I've not had a lot of, of, of a lot of mature deer. It depends on the personality. will avoid mature, will we'll avoid, um, uh, corn piles in daylight. Yep. Um, uh, some of them won't, some of them will just gobble it up, but, um, even with the deer that are apt to or or tend to hit those in daylight, you can mess them up quickly because it's a fine line. Whenever they hit those corn piles in daylight, they're going to do it with the wind in their favor. The mm-hmm. mature deer are; those and fawns and smaller bucks, you know, they're carefree. But the mature bucks, if they they're only going to hit those corn piles if they think the wind is is good for them, and that's been my experience. And so it is a very very thin line that you have to thread in order to be successful hunting over them yeah yeah it's a tool really
0: when you when you kind of when you think about it it's a it's a tool you use almost just like a tree stand and how you set that up and and how you think about it and in the wind directions and yep. access routes and things like that all right so you saw a whole bunch of deer before he showed up um, was he coming straight to it and were you going to get a shot when you first saw
1: him or did you have to coax him in with like a grunt or anything no i didn't i didn't do anything to i prefer not to call i i i don't i have never had success calling early season um i know some people have but i I i'm very reserved when it comes to calling deer i am even sometimes reserved more reserved than i should be calling during the rut i don't like to blind call i've never had i've never to my knowledge i've never blind called a deer in i know it works a lot for for a lot of people but for some reason and maybe i'm just the weird the the weird anomaly that it just doesn't work for but i've never really had much success blind calling because i have too many deer when i do blind call circle downwind of me so i usually only call during the pre-rut and the rut and, and, and I know, like I said, I know a lot of people have had success calling early season and, and even late season, even rattling early season or late season, but I just prefer for me personally not to. So I didn't do anything like that, um, on this particular hunt, but he, I did see him. So he stayed up in the cedars, probably stood for 10 or 15 minutes before I could have seen him. And I, I, I don't know that for sure. Cause I couldn't see him, but there were other deer in the area and they just kept looking up there. And they kept looking up there, and they kept looking up there. And I was like, now ah, there's something up there. Because they usually don't pay that close of attention to other inferior bucks or does and fawns. But they get really, what I've noticed, especially around food sources, whether it's a small food plot or it's a corn pile or whatever it is, or an inside field corner on, a, on an ag field, you know, if the deer can find in a spot, um, they get really edgy and really aware, almost like they're paying, r- r- you know, reverence to the, to the to the Mac Daddy or the the big Daddy oh, yeah. that's that's nearby and so so uh, you know that, it's it's like they they they'll look at the other deer so I had deer pouring through all day does and small bucks and, and you know they would look up when another deer was coming but they really wouldn't pay much attention when it was like oh yeah that's another deer and then um, you know another deer comes oh yeah that's another deer and then whenever I think he started coming down out of the bedding area and he probably had to go about 150 to 200 yards, depending on exactly where, I don't know exactly where he was bedding at. Cause there's a bunch of beds up there that they'll use. But, uh, and I, I didn't go up in there to, to figure it out because I don't invade the bedding areas this time of year, but well, at least not in that situation. I, that's another discussion for another day. But, but anyway, so like he, he probably stood probably 10 to 15 minutes at least, from where the other deer that were around me out in the beans, you know, in the timber, there was a lot of deer feeding on early successional browse. I had a lot of uh, pokeberry. Deer love pokeberry, it's high protein. Um, um, uh, they were feeding on that. There was deer overfeeding on the persimmons. There were deer feeding down the corn pile, and all those deer just turned at once and looked. And it was really cool. Um and they just locked on to where I assume this buck was standing and they they kept that. They stayed there and they they kind of intermittent feed and look, but they knew he was up there. And eventually he made it down far enough where I could see him. Yeah. And from the point that I he got to where I could see him, he stood like another four to five minutes. And then he finally slowly walked down in um you know into that general area that i was focused on um and he was really he was on pins and that's another thing whenever you're hunting anywhere close to a corn pile you know these deer are on pins and needles especially the mature ones
0: yeah yeah all right so he st- stays there four or five minutes he starts to meander down how much time did you have uh before light ran out
1: like i said you know i, I the deer were moving early um you know, I, when I saw him, it was for, first suspected that he was up there. It was probably around six fifteen ish, I guess six ten. Yeah. Um. And and like I said, I don't remember exactly when legal light ended, but it was somewhere around seven thirty ish, maybe a little a little before. Yeah. Um. So so I had about an hour. Okay. So I, I had enough time that I thought he was going to make it within bow range. Gotcha. And so,
0: at that point, you see him and he he makes his way how far was the shot about 24 yards 24 yards
1: all right and and uh good like good shot did you have to stop him no um he he came on into the corn pile and i self-filmed this entire hunt and it'll actually be available for viewing on hunt stands platforms um later this year but so, everybody will be able to see exactly how it played out if, they, if they're interested. They may not want to see a corn pile hunt. I've had several people tell me already that corn pile kills don't count. And I was like, that's fine. <laughs> that's fine. But, uh, but so, yeah, he was. Mostly broadside. He was quartering to me just slightly, but his legs were far. So, you know, I was like, oh, you took a quarter and two shot? No, it wasn't, like, hard quarter and two. He was, like, probably 90, 92, 93% broadside, um, you know, just slightly quarter and two. And he had his legs forward as well, opening up that the vitals so I could actually had a clear shot straight to the heart, mm-hmm. um, you know, in the in the, in the lungs. And I took the shot. I ended up hitting him a little lower than I wanted to, you um, where that, that, the white hair and the, and the brown hair, the fur meets on the belly line. Uh, I handed him about probably two and a half, three inches above that, that, that line. Of course, everybody knows, you know, if you hit them about, if you get anywhere close to that line, it, it gets a little iffy because you're hitting them low. Um, so I, I would have preferred to have hit him about two or three inches, four inches higher than I did, but I wasn't real high up. I was only probably 17 feet up in a cedar tree. Um, this, he was kind of out, like I said, 24 yards. So it wasn't like it was a super steep angle, um, and so I ended up, you know, the the arrow when it was so self filmed, so I was able to go back and look. The arrow went in just fine, but for some reason it deflected down and back. So once it like it got to the opposite offside rib cage, it neared those ribs and turned down and exited back don't know why um why it did that but it did and um but but, but it didn't really deflect until it got through the vitals if that makes sense yeah. um and so I ended up clipping the bottom of his heart whenever I, I feel dressed him I looked at the heart um of course everybody knows the shape of the heart's like a ice cream cone you know it's fat up top and skinny down at the bottom and so like I ended up cutting the very bottom of the heart and the ultimately where the, the bottom of the heart and the lungs and all those arteries meet is where. Well. Yeah. And he, I ended up giving the deer quite a while because it was really cool. I wasn't worried about meat spoilage or anything like that. If it was, if I was worried about the, the meat spoiling, I would have went earlier and that wasn't a factor because it was cooled off a lot. So I give the deer probably about five, five and a half, six hours just to be sure because the, I was worried about that deflection. Mm-hmm. I thought that maybe it had gotten back up into the, maybe one lung. What I was worried about was one lung Mm -hmm. and I was only about a half inch away from missing the bottom of the heart. So it would have been like a potentially could have been easily a one lung and a liver situation. Mm -hmm. Um, and and if that's the case, he would have needed four or five hours. Um, didn't end up being that ended up being heart and lung and artery because it was far enough forward and just high enough that it was. So he went 70 yards and fell over dead. I couldn't see him. I lost him whenever I shot, and he ran off about 50 yards. And I could see his rack, and and then it just disappeared. And so I didn't know if he bedded down, fell over, took off again. But long story short, when we found him, um, he had went. He had done a hard 90 and ran another 15, 20 yards, and fell over. So. Wow. Did could you see blood when you
0: like maybe put your binos up to at the uh, impact site?
1: Yeah, I couldn't see it from the stand, but I got down and went and retrieved my arrow after about probably 45 minutes I got down. I usually try to stay in the stand 30 to 45 minutes before retrieving my arrow, and so I did that and went and got my arrow um, pretty close, still before dark, uh, but right before dark, got down about 45 minutes later and looked at the arrow, looked like. There, so so there's another thing that worried me, too, was the arrow. So there was some blood on it. looked like it was kind of lungish blood, mm-hmm. some lung blood, but not a lot. You know, it wasn't like it was straight lung. It yeah. didn't look like it was straight hard. It didn't look like it was straight liver. And and I knew it was a low hit to begin with, and there was some fat on it. And so I was like, oh, man, usually that means a low hit, you know, or a brisket or a low hit because yep. they've got a lot of fat on their belly and a lot of fat on their brisket. And so I was like, man. And so I decided, that's another reason I decided to give him more time, because there wasn't a lot of blood on it, but it was kind of a, you know, a, a not a real pink lung blood and not a rich red heart shot blood mm-hmm. or a really dark red liver pit, but it was just kind of a, a medium red, um, so to speak, and there wasn't a lot of it. It was across the entire arrow, um, you know, from broadhead to, to, to knock, but it just wasn't really concentrated, and so... Yeah. I was worried about it being a low and back hit, and so I, I gave him some time. But there was good blood, so long story short, you know, well, long story short, I've been telling a long story even longer, <laughs> but, uh, but he ended up being uh, uh, a really good blood trail, probably one of the best blood trails I've ever seen. Yeah. Um and, and, and it just absolutely spraying. I mean, uh, I could have been blind and deaf and followed it just by w- holding my hands out and feeling blood on the leaves and the yeah. plants walking through the woods. Yeah. Um, you, know, you know, and so, um, yeah, it, it was probably a top two or top three massive blood trail for any deer that I've personally shot. Yeah, man, that's awesome. Uh, let's see here. You, but I didn't know that. Sorry to interrupt, but I didn't know yeah. that if I'd have known that I would have drug trailed him immediately, but yeah. I didn't know that because he bled decent at the point of impact and decent, you know, I only went about five steps and I saw, you know, droplets of blood. Yeah. And so he didn't really open up until he got about 15 yards down the trail, which is typical, yeah. but I thought he might've bedded down at 50 yards. And so I just got out. Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense. And so you went back five
0: hours later, found him real easy. And, uh, and, and so, less than five minutes less than five minutes so where does this buck rank as far as age class and size on some of the other deer that you've shot throughout the years
1: yeah he, he's he's not like i said he's a four and a half year old deer here in kentucky where i hunt i try to shoot four and a half year old deer and older mm-hmm. um you know where i'm hunting at public land in tennessee i'm looking for a two and a half year old, year old deer excuse me two and a half year old deer or older yeah. uh, up in ohio we try to shoot them three and a half four and a half and older um So, it depends on where I'm at, but as far as the deer I've actually killed throughout the years uh, here in Kentucky, um, you know, age-wise, he's definitely not the oldest deer that I've shot. I've shot some deer that were up there around that five-and-a-half, six-and-a-half-year-old mark. The oldest known age of a deer that I've shot in Kentucky was Mm -hmm. six-and-a-half. There might have been one that was a little older than that, but I can't say that for sure, and so I'm not going to say it is. But typically, when I shoot a deer here in Kentucky, he's a -a four-and-a-half or a -a five-and-a-half-year-old deer. That's what I'm going for. Gotcha. And score-wise, he's my biggest year. Um, what did you yeah. what'd you uh, get him at? Yeah, so he ended up taping at 167. And I don't think I've huddled him up here since we started recording, so I'll bring him to the, to the front here so people can maybe see him. But yeah. he ended up scoring. And I was conservative, but he ended up scoring right at um, 167 and 6.8 is what he scored. Now, he, he has the points and the mass because he had over 40 inches of mass, and he's got basically – you know he's a, a 12 by 12 with another little point here and a split brow, but he he ha- if he'd have had a bigger frame because he was 16 and a half inches wide um, and pretty short beams, but if he'd have been bigger framed he really would have been on up there because he has the time length and the number of points and yeah. the mass to do it, but he just didn't quite have the, the frame so yeah. to speak to be higher. But he's my biggest deer and I'm tickled with him. He, he like yeah. I said he ended up being one 167 and six eights might be closer to 170 just uh you know being being conservative there Yeah, that's, that's where he's at i think
0: well i tell you what that's one heck of a way to kick off the season uh congratulations on a mighty fine deer and uh i hope the rest of your hunts go just like this man so uh congratulations again and thanks for hopping on today
1: yeah thank you for your time it's always an honor to, to be a guest and i appreciate you having me on
0: And there you have it. Another episode in the book. Huge shout out to Josh. Huge shout out to Tethered, Wasp, Vortex, Code Blue, Woodman's Pal, Huntworth, and Ozonix. Please go out and support the companies that support this podcast. Last but not least, uh, huge shout out to... I think I said huge shout out to Josh. Last but not least, huge shout out to each and every one of you. Sending good vibes your way. Hopefully you guys... Hopefully you guys all connect on whatever deer that you're dreaming about or that you have running around on your property or you you know I'll even throw a little dash of luck in there too to hope a giant walks by your stand and you get an opportunity this year so uh, good vibes in good vibes out happy Friday and if you're gonna be in a tree you gotta wear your damn safety harness